Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? As the Archbishop and Primate of the Anglican Church in North America and also the Chair of GAFCON, the Global Anglican Future Conference, it's a real joy and privilege to be here at the Falls Church this morning. Thank you, uh, Sam, for inviting me to preach and entrusting me to open God's Word with your flock. Um, I have to say, I asked Sam what to preach on, and he said, the Trinity, it's Trinity Sunday. I was hoping he'd give me something easy like God is love or prayer or a disciple, but the Trinity. So we're, we will uh, we'll work on this. Uh, thank you also to the Falls Church for your willingness to host the College of Bishops, the Executive Committee, and our Provincial Council meetings being held here this week. Uh, you will have people from all over North America invading your church this week. And we'll have special guests from Nigeria and India and Pakistan as well. The Falls Church is part of a diocese, the Diocese of the Mid-Atlantic. And the Mid-Atlantic is part of a province, the Anglican Church in North America. And the Anglican Church in North America is part of a worldwide fellowship of Anglicans. Through GAFCON and through the Global South Anglican Fellowship, We are in communion with over 60 million of the 80 million Anglicans around the world. And this week, you're going to have some of these folks with us. So thank you for your hospitality and for your warm welcome and for opening up your beautiful church to the province. Let's pray as we now open God's word together. And I'm going to pray a prayer by A.W. Tozier. God of our fathers, enthroned in light, how rich, how musical the tongue of England. Yet when we attempt to speak forth thy wonders, our words, how poor they seem, and our speech, how unmelodious. When we consider the fearful mystery of the triune Godhead, we lay our hand upon our mouth. Before that burning bush, we ask not to understand, but only that we fitly adore thee. In Jesus' name, amen. We worship an awesome God. We worship a majestic God. We worship an exalted God. We worship Him with reverent fear. We worship Him with extreme wonder. He's exalted and highly lifted up. He is awesome. And this awesome God has revealed Himself as a trinity, Or at least this is how we've come to understand him over the centuries. That is that he is one God, yet three in one. We call this the Trinity. One God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now each week we begin our communion service by blessing God and saying, blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We speak of God as Father, We speak of God as Son. We speak of God as Holy Spirit. We pray to God the Father. We pray to God the Son. We pray to the Holy Spirit. We sing to God the Father. We sing to God the Son. We sing to the Holy Spirit. Actually, this morning I was singing, Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. One God, three persons of the Godhead, three in one. A first grader once asked me on a Sunday morning, Well, how can God be one if he's three? Great question. (laughs) 
So I tried to explain the Trinity in a simple way, but I found I was tongue-tied. I used the analogy of the apple. You know, you got the skin, you got the flesh, and the core. You know, it's all part of the apple. I used the analogy of the triangle. Three sides, all separate, yet all make up the triangle. And if you take one side away, you don't have a triangle anymore. I use the analogy of the chemical makeup of ice, water, and steam. They're all the same elements, yet expressed differently. So I said, you know, the water, that represents the Father, and the ice, that represents the Son. You have a frozen picture of what the Father is. And the steam, that represents the Holy Spirit, mystical. It kind of blows where the wind blows it. I still think I failed in explaining to her the awesome God that we serve and what Trinity is is expressing. Actually, if you think about it, all analogies will fall short in explaining the infinite and incomprehensible God. He's God. We're always going to fall short explaining. So as we examine the Trinity this morning, two quick points about the Trinity. First, it's a mystery. Church leaders, pastors, priests, and scholars throughout the years have attempted to understand and explain it, and we all fall short. It's a mystery. Secondly, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. We have inferences to it, and we'll see that in a minute, but the word itself is never found in the Bible. So as we examine the Trinity, I'd like to approach it in a very simple way. First, I'd like to remind you what our sources are this morning. The first source is the Bible. As theologian Owen Thomas wrote, the doctrine of God is entirely dependent upon what God has revealed to be, upon the divine self-disclosure attested in the Bible and interpreted by the tradition of the church. Our authority of speaking about God comes from the Bible. God has revealed himself to humankind, and the Bible tells us how. We don't just make things up or get them off the internet. We get it from the Bible. Secondly, our second source is the tradition of the church. We have 2,000 years of history, and they're summed up with the creeds. The creeds are attempts to summarize in a simple way the complexities of our understanding of what the Bible teaches us about God. So we have the Apostles' Creed, which we just said. That came about about the year 100, when it was used as part of a baptismal service. Then we have the Nicene Creed, which came about, well, it was in response to the Council of Nicaea, which happened in 325. And then we have the Athanasian Creed, which was written in 381, and it emphasizes the equality of the Godhead. These early Christians studied the scriptures They heard the words of Jesus, they heard the words of the epistles, and they saw that the the Father was divine, the Son was divine, and the Holy Spirit was divine, yet they knew that God was one, and so they wrestled and wrestled with how to explain God to honor the integrity of His Word. So the creeds were written as statements about our basic beliefs about God. One of those creeds, the Athanasian Creed, I want to share with you a few of its words. It goes like this, and the Catholic faith is this, meaning the universal faith, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, 
and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal equal, such as the Father is, such as the Son, such as the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreate, the Son uncreate, the Holy Spirit uncreate. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, the Holy Spirit incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal. Yet not three eternals, but one eternal. And there is not three incomprehensibles, nor three uncreated, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. Well, it goes on like this for a while, but I think you kind of get the gist of what he's trying to say. That there's only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So our sources are the Bible and the tradition of the church is summed up in the creeds. One other place I'd like us to examine, and that's this, the Hebrew names of God. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it and are safe. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, there are many names for God, but there are three main names that are used in the text. Elohim, Adonai, and then the personal name of God. Elohim is the word that's typically used when you read God. Adonai is typically the word that's used when you read Lord. So Elohim, if you think of the word El, Ohim, El is the God part. And all throughout the the Old Testament, there are different phrases attached to that to describe different attributes of God. But these names convey the concept that God is a transcendent being, superhumanly strong, and with an inexhaustible life within himself, one on whom everything that is not himself depends. So you have names like Elohim, Elion, Elolam, El Shaddai. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God, that's the word Elohim. Now Elohim, when you find it in the Bible, is always translated God in the singular. Yet Elohim is plural in the Hebrew. Now think about this. I mean, typically you'd say gods, but it's always translated God. So even right here in the beginning, the first verse of the Bible, God presents himself as more than an easy to understand God. But there's one God, not many. As Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, as the beginning of the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. If you remember, Jesus reaffirmed that when he was asked what the greatest commandment was. Our God is not many gods or deities, but one God, one Lord. Anglican theologian J.I. Packer wrote this about the Trinity. Being unique, the Trinity to us is a mystery. That is a matter of incomprehensible fact. And rationalistic thinkers and sects have often attacked the doctrine of God's tri-personality on that account. But the implications of the New Testament material are too clear to be denied. So let's look quickly at some of the scriptures which bring forth God as Trinity. Let's begin first just quickly looking at the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. You'll recognize these verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So here, right here in the first three verses of the Bible, you have God, the Spirit, and the Word. And then a few verses later, when when he talks about the creation of humankind, verse 26, then God said, all right, this Elohim again, but it's, it's, it's in the singular. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What does that mean? Who's the us? And God said, let us. You with me? Yes? Okay. All right, the birth of Jesus. When the angel appeared to Mary, the angel said this in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So here you have the Holy Spirit, God the Father, which is God Most High, and then the Son of God. Then at the baptism of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, and then we have this voice, the voice of the Father from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son. We could look at the teaching of Jesus. I'll just look at a few of these. In John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus says this, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So you've got the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father is going to send, and he's going to bear witness about Jesus. Then Jesus gives the great uh, great commission when he uh, was resurrected just before he ascended. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, you could probably quote this, many of you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the way that's laid out in the Greek language is they're all equal. Then you have the grace, what we call the apostolic benediction. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There it is again, Lord Jesus Christ, love of God and the Holy Spirit. Then we have the teaching of the apostles and we could use numerous examples from the epistles, but I'm just gonna read one. This is from Ephesians chapter three, verse 14. The apostle Paul's writing the early church in Ephesus. He says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family on earth and every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, you may, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through this spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he's bowing his knees before the Father, 
strengthened with power from his spirit so that Christ may be indwelt in the heart. So you got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozier wrote this. He said, the fact that the Trinity cannot be satisfactorily explained instead of being against it is actually in its favor. Such a truth had to be revealed. No one could have imagined it. So the Trinity, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Frederick Buechner wrote this. He said, if the idea of God as both three and one, it seems far-fetched and obfuscating, look in the mirror someday. He said, there, first, you'll see the interior life known only to yourself and to those you choose to communicate it to, and he related that to the Father. And then second thing you'll see is the visible face in which some measure reflects that inner life, and he would say that's the Son. And then there is third, the invisible power you have in order to communicate that interior life in such a way to others that they not only merely know about it, but have a sense of becoming part of it. And he would say that would be the Holy Spirit. And he concludes by saying, yet what you're looking at in the mirror is clearly and invisibly one and only one, you. I think Genesis does tell us that God said he made human beings in his image. So we're a triune being as well, body, soul, and spirit. The Trinity, a great mystery, and yet God is three in one. But here's the good news. Although we humans tend to complicate things, God desires for us to get him to understand him. And this is why he sent Jesus. In Colossians chapter one, verse 15, the apostle Paul writes about Jesus. He is the visible expression of the invisible God. He is the visible expression of the invisible God. He explains who God is. If you wanna know what God is like, then get to know Jesus. If you wanna know what God is like, then get to know Jesus. His life was a simple message. God loves you and wants to dwell with you. His name conveys a simple message. That is, God is salvation. Jesus or Joshua or Yeshua, depending on your translation, they all mean God is salvation. And his words convey a simple message. John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Or he said this to Philip in John chapter 14. Philip, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I speak not on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. John 14 verse 6, Jesus said a little right before that, he said, I I'm sorry, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And of course, you could all quote John 3.16 when Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. You see, he designed it in such a way that it comes down to belief, having faith, putting our trust in him, being willing to let go and let him have his way in our life. God loves you so much, he loves me so much, that he sent his son to die on a cross that we might not only have forgiveness of our sins, but have new life in him. And he wants that life for you this morning, and he wants that life for me. So I would like to just end the sermon this morning by saying this. There may be somebody here, you've never asked Jesus into your life. You've never even thought about it. Or maybe you thought about it and you think, well, that's just not for me. Well, why not today? God loves you so much and he cares for you so much and he wants to help you with the things that you're going through. But we have to be willing to let him in. To be willing to say, yes, Lord, have your way among me, have your way in my life. So let's uh, have a prayer together if we could. Father, we come in Jesus' name thanking you for all you've done for us. And although we can't really understand this mystery called the Trinity, we know that you love us and you care for us and you want to help us. And Father, I pray specifically this morning for that person who's been running from you or have been ignorant of you or been saying no to you, that you will break through and have your way in their life. And for that person who's never said, Jesus, come into my life, give them that ability this day. And this is our prayer in his name and for his glory. Amen.